Pushkin. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, so a couple of weeks ago, a friend sent me a text that included a new art project that's going up in the south side of Chicago. It's by Yeah, a- yeah, I remember. It's by an artist named Tanika Johnson. It's called Mm -hmm. Inequity for Sale. And right, I immediately forwarded it to you. Yeah, yeah. It's basically calling out uh, how Black people had their homes stolen from them legally uh, through these predatory lending schemes back in the day. Yeah, yeah. These landmarks, they're going to go in front of 10 or 15 houses on the South Side that have been legally stolen, as the sign says. Yeah, and it just felt, felt so perfect for us. It's, it's art, but it's art that exposes injustice. It's art that's political. It's art that's demanding change. You know, I immediately wanted to talk about this. Let's do it. I'm Khalil Gibran Muhammad. And I'm Ben Austin. We're two best friends. One black. One white. I'm a historian. And I'm a journalist. This is Some of My Best Friends Are... In this show, we wrestle with the challenges and the absurdities in a deeply divided and unequal country. And in this episode, we're going to learn from two amazing artists who challenge us to see the world as it is. Yeah, their art is both in museums and also in the streets of Chicago. Yep, we're going to art school, folks. Let's go. Get your palette. Yeah, so you met up with Tanika, right? Yeah, yeah. To learn more about her work, to learn more about inequity for sale, I went to her home a couple weekends ago, and we drove around the neighborhood. Yeah, she lives in Englewood, right? Yeah, she lives in Englewood on the south side of Chicago, which is where these signs, these these placards are going to go as well. Follow me so you can, unless you want to That's ride right. in my car. Yeah. Tanika is amazing. She's so generous to do this. We're going to 
She has this humility that I think actually disguises just sort of how badass she is and, and the amazingness mm. of her work. Yeah, yeah, because she's been she's been actually doing a lot of uh, other activities, including organizing in that same community. Exactly. She's a community organizer. She's a photographer. She's done other art projects that have really captured my attention. And, you know, this neighborhood of Englewood, where she lives and works, is a really important one as well. I mean, it's been kind of at the center of uh, how Chicago is described as a violent city, uh, precisely because of the uh, level of community violence in Inglewood in particular. Yeah, yeah. In an earlier episode, you and I talked about Cabrini-Green, this public housing development being sort of like this mythological place. And Englewood has sort of filled that void in Chicago. It sort of exists yeah, in yeah. this realm of like horror stories. Yeah, it's also not that far from from where we grew up. I mean, nope. it's just a little bit west, west yep. of where we grew up. Yeah, yep. a little west, a little bit south. It was a 10-minute drive from my place. But it might as well be light years away because it's a community that's been devastated by loss, by divestment. We stop on, on one of these streets, and, and it's a block that has three of these homes that were sold on land sale contracts. And mm-hmm. listen, man, there's like an empty lot. There's yep. a boarded-up home. There's a really nice home that has a fence and being taken care of. Next to it is a, a, a vacant lot. There's a boarded mm. up home. And so you it's see- It's just crazy. It's just crazy in terms of like lot by lot what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you see the devastation. You see the abandonment. You see really the, the absence of people too. Because, you know, the population in Englewood has dropped from something like 97,000 in the 1960s to 24,000 today. So there's been black yeah. flight from this community. And you see it there too. This home- Right here, this yep. burnt up one, that's a land sale contract home. This is actually one that's going to be in the project as well. So the project that she's referring to there, she's putting up these landmarks in the community, in the neighborhood. She's going to start with about 10 of them or 15 of them. And, yep. you know, there are these signs there. They're yellow like in this way. Yellow. Bright yeah. yellow. And yeah, she, yeah. Said, she said it's supposed to be a caution sign. It's caution. like the yellow of a caution <laughs> sign. And they mm-hmm. say this home at 6823 South Aberdeen was legally stolen from black couple Mr. and Mrs. James and Lula Malone on October 30th, 1963 in a widespread land sale contract scam. Yeah, that's I mean, just so powerful. And, you know, these land sale contract scams were a predatory market set up to target Black people by speculators who basically sold them homes on a layaway plan. Literally, like, they were set up to make payments. They never earned equity in the home until the final payment was made. And often these land speculators uh, who were involved in this scheme would deliberately sabotage Black people by uh, making payments disappear or pretending as if they didn't receive them. And so lots of people lost their homes this way. And yet the speculators made thousands and thousands of dollars on Black people. Yeah, what makes inequity for sale so amazing is that Tanika researches these homes. She finds who mm-hmm. lived there and and what, when their homes were yeah. stolen from them. So I was just looking at that data set and I was like, they're all around me. That's crazy. And so now that you see the block that I was living on, it was so many vacant homes. This is the, the data that she's talking about, that 
you know, there was a, a Duke study originally, I think it was mm-hmm. in, it was in 2018. It was called the plunder of black wealth in Chicago. Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember that. I remember because uh, one of the major guys is a reparations scholar named Sandy Darity at Duke. Yes. I, yeah. I remember that. You know, and, and so they started looking into the, the effects of, of these land sale contracts and, you know, Tanika got interested in this and she asked whether she could actually see the homes. The specific data to track it right down yeah. to the, the street level. And they were like, yeah. And so she is working with <laughs> researchers and, and others to, to, to find these. And now they've put together this list, a map that shows each of the homes. And so we're just driving around and she's like, there's five on this block. There's three on this block, a couple blocks over. And the, it seems like they're in clusters, but they're also all over the place. Okay. So, so in, the, in the 1950s and the 1960s in particular, mm-hmm. you know, black people could not get mortgages. They couldn't get federally backed mortgages. Yeah, exactly. And you know why? <laughs> because in the 1930s, when the federal government decided to support home ownership because of the Great Depression, homes weren't being built, there was a massive housing shortage. The government basically took the discrimination in the private market that had already existed and enshrined it in new federal policy. White people got to buy homes because the federal government said black people were too much of a risk in most places, and therefore they they use this color-coded scheme where red was used as the designation for Black people in the areas of the city where they live, like the whole south side of segregated Chicago. Like if you look at a historical map, it's it's redlined. Yeah, so, so the federal government and then banks, lenders, are justifying this by saying this is a risky loan. And it's essentially entire Black communities that you're you pointed out. You know, people often think about this era of redlining or now land sale contracts uh, as a predatory lending moment in, in a little bit of abstraction, right? But but one of the things that the Duke study pointed out is that four billion dollars was plundered billion, from billion the black with community. a B, billion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I said four billion, right? Yeah, I was just I wanted other <laughs> yeah. people to hear yeah, yeah. that. Like how no, much it's money? Crazy, right? right? So $4 billion is taken out of the black community. Talk about theft. Uh, over a 20-year period, uh, two decades in the 50s and 60s. And, and so, you know, the estimates are that upwards of 75% of all homes purchased by black people in Chicago were on land sale contracts, purchased in quotes, because you're not really purchasing it. The reason that I picked this specific block is so people can see how it changes how it changed this block today. Like, literally, an abandoned home and two vacant lots are on this block because of that period. And having vacant lots and abandoned homes on your block depreciates the value of the people who live here. And now these communities where there's so much uh, abandonment and vacant lots are often, you know, understood by the outside world uh, as the evidence of Black pathology and dysfunction and Black people don't care about their neighborhoods. And that's what's so powerful, not only about the data set, but also Tanika bringing this story to life in this art project. Yeah, and, and driving around with her, it was unmistakable. What makes crime even, like, profitable is... When you have an environment where you don't have traffic, where you don't have people watching you, like that's a key to (laughs) a successful uh, crime business. If you don't have any eyes on you, then that means you could do whatever it is you're doing. And, And these 
blocks that don't have homes lived in and have vacant lots, that's the perfect scene for anybody who's crime involved. Yeah, so this art project, Inequity for Sale, is fascinating. And it's just, it's just I wish I were there with you uh, and Tanika. But, but looking at the, one of the signs and seeing up close, I mean, she's calling out, one, that it's legal, this predatory land sale scam. Like, right. like, like people could do this legally. But she calls it a crime. And she wants people to know that a crime happened here and no one has been punished for it. And, and, and she said that they're, they're painted bright yellow, which isn't a typical color for a landmark. She said it's a, it, it alerts you to danger. That's what it typically does. And there's an image at the top of these of essentially like a man running off with a bag of money, know. <laughs> you know, a representation of theft. Right. And then also a piece of me, not even a piece, a huge chunk of me was just getting pissed off. Like, like I was just imagining it being my family. Like, man, if I found out my family was stolen from, I'd want someone to pay. Like, you know, because I just thought about the fact that it's literally because my grandmother purchased um, the house that I grew up in that I was able to even, like, have that kind of stability. You know, I'll just point out that that Tanika is working with a large group of people. There's a designer for, mm-hmm. the, for the placards and historians and researchers. And on the back of the placards, on the back of the sign, mm. there's a map of the neighborhood where you could see the hundred homes in Englewood that right. were land sale contracts. So you can understand this history. The scale, the scale and enormity. There's a QR code where you can sort of, you know, see all this information right. and a link to a website which tells this vast history. So yeah. it it's exists <laughs> within within a larger context. It's like the anti-citizen app, right? Because, you know, those are apps that basically warn people to stay out of neighborhoods like Englewood. You know, and here yeah. it is saying, like, you need to be warned by this system of oppression and the air that we all breathe because of it. So, th- so there's one other thing that's on these landmarks that is really important to point out, and it's both explaining it as art and I think as activism. At the bottom of the mm-hmm. landmarks, it says, this crime was never brought to justice. Reparations are due. I know, right. Reparations are due. That is so powerful. Yeah, and, and Tanika, when I asked her, like, well, what, what reparations? She said, listen, I'm, I'm the artist. There are other people who are going to help figure this out. She didn't necessarily mm. have prescriptive ideas. She did mm. say that she hoped that uh, maybe that the community would own one of these homes and turn it into a community center, an art center. But she talked about this more. My goal and hope is that this project will encourage or challenge people to think about um, reparations differently or maybe just different than what they have been um, told it can and should be. Um, But just a way to repair the damage that has been done and and bring to justice um, something for these families, but specifically um, the larger community, because this this crime impacted those families as well as their neighbors, the entire neighborhood. And that's the ripple effect of systemic injustice. It doesn't just harm the individual it was perpetrated on. It harms everyone around them. It, yeah, it's just so fascinating as an art project because, 
you know, I can imagine some people listening like, is this really art? I mean, did she just design these activist signs and put them in this neighborhood to call attention to the need for reparations? I think that's a fair question. So art that exposes a history of injustice, that that makes people see it in a new, fresh way, and then mm-hmm. also calls for change in the world, tries to catalyze right. something, tries to bring something else about. And we could, and we, you know, to be fair to her, um, the signs are material object, uh, like a photograph, like a painting, like a sculpture. Uh, and so, you know, she's engaging in a form of art practice and expression uh, that carries this weight. And an intervention in a community. I mean, it's in the neighborhood. It's not in a gallery. It's not in a museum. They're in the neighborhood where the, the scam happened and where she wants to bring about change. In fact, with, with all of that, you might even ask the question, I mean, where's the line? Where do you draw the line? Yeah, where is the line between art and, and activism? And, and, you know, we talked about this, and immediately we thought of another artist to bring into this conversation, Amanda Williams. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to talk to her. She's awesome. Amanda also does art on the south side of Chicago. She's put up art in those very same neighborhoods in Englewood. Yeah, yeah, Amanda's great. I'm so happy that we're, we're going to be talking to her. She's going to have a lot to say to help us think about this question of the line between art and activism. I couldn't think of anyone smarter about this topic, about, about thinking about what can art do as far as correcting injustices. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is that many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tightknit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards, and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices, Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Amanda Williams. (laughs) 
Hey, hey. Ben Austin. How are you? Thank you for being on. Some of my best friends are. Yes, yes. We are so excited. This is a huge honor. So your art project, Colored Theory, took abandoned homes in Englewood, the same neighborhood that Tanika lives in, and and you painted them. You, you, You gave them love. You made them stand out in these dramatic ways. And the colors you chose were, you could say, culturally relevant colors. Um, <laughs> it was stunning. How white have you been? She, she painted the homes in Harold Chicken. Harold Chicken Harold Shack. Chicken Shack Royal, Royal Crown. Like, <laughs> Crown Royal. Yeah, like, that's right. I mean, culturally relevant. Come Ultra on, sheen. man. Ultra Sheen. Ultra Sheen. I love it. Like, Ultra and what, Sheen. Are, what is the color? It's like cyan. Is that what it is? No, it's ultra sheen. <laughs> yeah, man. See, see, you, you've been hanging out with me right. too much. All right, oh, touche. <laughs> yeah. If you want, if you want to, technically, it's, it's a turquoise green side of cyan. I, you yes. know, I was just trying to give a little bit of context to our listener who may not know what ultra sheen is. It's ultra yes. sheen. And, and Harold's Chicken Shack is is, is right. red, right? For the a, listening a, a audience. Really brilliant color yeah. of red, yes. So we, we yes. grew up on Harold's Chicken in Chicago. It's a franchise. It's known for its mild sauce, which is red. <laughs> Khalil and I have both seen pieces of, of that work in museums here in Chicago and at the moment in New York. And, uh, you know, you're, that, that our project was picked as like one of the 25 most significant works of architecture in the, in the post-war <laughs> era. I mean, that's incredible. That's a huge honor. Post-war. You've been commissioned with another artist to make the, the Shirley Chisholm sculpture in Prospect Park. Correct. And uh, you did this TED Talk about color theory. And my daughter uh, listened to it in her art class this Isn't that year. something? See? All the students did. That's, yeah. like, that's black excellence. It's a huge that's honor. Black excellence. You are, you're touching lives. So, Amanda... We've been talking about Tanika mm-hmm. Johnson's work and specifically inequity for sale. Yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, we want to hear you talk about art as activism and what that means. And, you know, this, we've been wrestling with this question in terms of Tanika's work of like, you know, what, what role can art play in bringing about social change? I'm so glad that you guys are having this conversation because it's actually one I've been having by myself, but um, had then started mm-hmm. to have with Tanika, I think um, her prior project, Folded Map, is one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. And really, um, I would say is the closest thing I've seen to something that really merges art in whatever way you want to define it, high art, community art, low art, you know, whatever whatever metric you want to use, and an idea about activism and maybe even policy and social change. Even more so, I would say, than color theory. Um, so I did color theory from 2014 to I think about 2016, the, the totality of the work, the conception of it, the production of the painting of the houses and then the photographing of that and then presenting that documentation. And so something like color theory starts to help you see the mm-hmm. residue of redlining. So it helps you understand that these things that were done to maps in the 1930s and 40s to decide who could get a loan and who couldn't and who could live where and who couldn't, Though you can feel it if you're from an area like this, mm. you can literally see it because the vacancy is so strange and odd, but we've normalized it. So then when they became these yeah. very saturated, yeah. it, it looks rural. It looks like Arkansas. Yeah, people don't know how rural that, that parts of the South Side look because there's so much abandonment, abandonment that, that homes have been clear. There's the isolation, vast yeah. Open and spaces. so it really was this kind of oddity where you're like, is that 
where is that? It's like, that is 60th and state is where that is. That is right in the heart of the city. This is not the outliers or, you know, this is, this is a demonstration of what it looks like when entities benefit from systemic ways in which people have been isolated and segregated. And so the, the saturation, the kind of, the out of context use of those colors, mm. on the one hand, you know, it's, it's a pink house. Right. It's a flaming hot orange house. You know, like the starkness of that compared to that empty landscape was something that got people's attention, even living in those areas and neighborhoods. And so I think for me, I thought it was just going to kind of highlight literally the oddity of this geography. One, we would cut the lawn and cut down that kind of overgrown brush, Mm -hmm. me being my (laughs) husband. Um, and so people were like, do you guys, did you guys buy the house? I was like, no. It's like, do you own the house? It's like, no. Does your cousin live there? No. So just the, the showing of some kind of love to a structure that everybody had kind of cast off for dead also was very striking to people. And I didn't expect that because they're not used to anybody caring for anything for no yeah, reason. Yeah. And so these are the things people connected with. And so it, it gave value to something that had been deemed valueless and people felt that and they felt a kind of appreciation that I didn't seem to have some alternate agenda. Khalil and I have been trying to figure out this relationship between art and activism, and really this question on the art side of like, what can art actually do to bring about change? So I like to always um, kind of dispel some romanticized myth that this work like changed the community, or I I came in and I Mm -hmm. transformed what the Mm -hmm. possibilities of Inglewood are, is asking what can this do right now with what we have yeah. instead of trying to change everything? So is it equally impactful that like one person came and did something they'd never done before and they felt empowered? Is that more or less empowering than if I get the alderman to, I don't know, change some yeah. street yeah. sign law or something? I don't know, right? So in terms of scales of participation and activism, right. where does it fall on that? It's a catalyst. That's, that's where right. I operate, in catalyst. I'm trying to just spark something that somebody else will do. I love what you just said about art as a catalyst. Uh, and so, you know, I want to circle back to Tanika's work in this project in Equity for Sale. I mean, it seems to me this is so perfectly in conversation with the work you've already done. Yeah. And I think this newest work, then literally pinpointing, <laughs> she's like taking a Yahoo map <laughs> with those points and she's brought it to physical life with these stanchions that sit so that you can visually see the kind of, you know, ubiquity of how many people were victims of this of this situation, but also physically then understanding why a landscape looks a certain way. This is stuff that reparations can come about for. This is official apologies. This is accountability. This is bringing people that don't believe this is a problem to the physical space. So for me, the ability for this as a visual kind of creative art form to then have clear potential impact um, in an activist sense is super clear in a way that I think most artists operating today that would call themselves social practice or social artists, it's, it's a little fluff. You know, it's a little bit, there's no, you can't, you know, if it's a science experiment, right. you couldn't recreate it. This you can recreate is an accountability. I mean, I know a great deal of what draws me to your work or Tanika's work is that it is actually on the streets. It's in the neighborhood and it's not Literally. in a museum. And literally there, that's where the practice is happening. And what does it mean to be in those spaces? What does it mean in terms of the audience that you reach, in terms of the goals and the effect? Yeah. When I'm making art, 
that's engaged in an area where people maybe don't really even care about art, then what am I doing it for and how do I make sure that it's it's having the same resonance? And so part of that also is an equality or an understanding of like, I'm not coming to like impart some knowledge or some wisdom or I'm not coming from on high to enlighten. It's like, no, I have a question and I can have a different conversation and get different kinds of answers when I can have that question with people from the neighborhood I grew up in <laughs> or I can have with my classmates at Cornell or lab or where, you know, wherever these other, or MoMA yeah. or wherever these other spaces that I exist in. And so for me, the challenge is always making sure the work is true to whatever that audience is and also expansive enough so that I'm not assuming what the audience might or might not be able to receive. So that's pretty complicated. Uh, in addition to everything we've talked about, but you know, you've been part of this exhibition of other architects and designers. Uh, and the, you know, the title of that show was Reconstructions, Architecture and Blackness. And, uh, and you know, your particular contribution not only is very much about this history of redlining, but it's also about how Black people defied the boundaries that were prescribed for them. Uh, and, you know, you have this amazing poem where mm-hmm. you describe Blackness in so many configurations, uh, contradictions. I mean, it's just, it's basically <laughs> like Black doesn't follow the rules, period, right? Because the rules weren't meant for us. Correct. <laughs> to begin exactly. with, that is correct. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so why are you worried about yeah. following them or not following them? <laughs> so MoMA published a book of this show that Stephanie and I uh, saw uh, last year, right when the museum reopened, um, there are 10 artists featured in this show. Every artist was given a commission to create a, a, a work of, of an object of futurity, a, a vision of, of blackness that could be both historically rooted and future oriented or could be all about the future. But it's just an incredible show. And in the catalog for the show, which I am holding right now in my hand, in your essay, the middle of your essay, there is a page in the book that is literally upside down. Like you cannot read the left side and go to the right side. You have to turn the book right side up in order to finish the page. What's up with that? It's upside down. Because <laughs> because why do you need to read the book the right way? This was another fight. I was the problem child yes. with the designers. It's like, I so want you to be able purpose. to turn That's the book right. upside yeah. down and read it backwards. <laughs> so everybody go get a copy and then turn the book upside down. And my essay reads perfectly yeah, backwards and right. forwards. And, and thinking of Tanika's work, which is very much future thinking. Yes. So you do this show. You help to coordinate. You're, you're like the lead uh, artist um, that helps to bring all of this together to MoMA. And you issue a manifesto. I wanted you to talk about the manifesto because I think that's in, di- in direct conversation with Tanika and thinking about the future and what is owed. Well, I won't take full credit. Sean Anderson and Mabel Wilson were the curators that that really had the vision. But this is um, the first show at MoMA, one of the first shows ever that directly contends with an idea about architecture and Blackness. So we developed this group called the Black Reconstruction Collective, made of the original 10 of us that were in exhibition. Yeah. And so this this group was basically going to say... We refuse this idea that we have to make the work in this way, that we can't advocate for ourselves, and we send it back to MoMA. And this starts a storm of a legal department and a so-and-so department, a developed department. And so then we understood a kind of power and collectivity that we knew intuitively, but we didn't really understand how big of a deal this was going to be. And so then we had to stand firm on this idea that we need to formulate 
an entity that doesn't allow this to happen again to anybody else that looks like us. And we want to be a steward of making sure that other people that want to have ideas about Black people in space don't have to deal with this part of it. I want to read just two sentences from the manifesting statement uh, because I remember seeing it on the wall and I thought to myself, this may be one of the most radical things I've read anywhere, let alone entering a gallery of an elite art museum. And so here's, here's just two sentences from the second paragraph. You guys write, the Black Reconstruction Collective commits itself to continuing this work of reconstruction in Black America and these United States. We take up the question of what architecture can be, not a tool for imperialism and subjugation, not a means for aggrandizing the self, but a vehicle for liberation and joy. And that is just so, so much encapsulates Tanika's work and your work of liberation and joy. And joy. And so many of the other artists who appeared in that show. We are, we are just blown away by you, your work, um, all that you have done and will do. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a huge honor. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers Back on the road fast with Location Telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
I'm so excited for Tanika's work. It actually it actually launches this month, November 2021. Mm. So some of my best friends are <laughs> is, is breaking news here. Breaking news, that's right. For these landmarks to be all over the place in Englewood. And you know, yeah. to to point out this this injustice that has happened, to bring attention to this theft of property, and you know, to help us think about what might come next. What do you do with this information? Well, I mean, again, what Amanda so graciously embraced is that there's all kinds of ways uh, to express things. And it can be abstract in the kind of painting something in colors that evoke redlining, which was all about different colors of which homes deserved support and financing, which homes didn't. And in Tanika's work, there is this, you know, invitation to passers-by to come and learn something about what they're actually seeing through this art expression, through yeah, these yeah. landmarks, through these yeah. signs. It's just, it just I, I learned so much and also I'm so uh, inspired by how, how much artists play a role in teaching us and telling the truth about the society we live in. Yeah, yeah. I love that their work is in conversation with our hometown, with our city of Chicago, with journalism, with history. You know, it's fabulous. So yeah, yeah, I'm glad we got to talk about this and, and look at it. That's right, and I, I think we should we should definitely nominate them to be some of our best friends. Oh man, they're they're already in. <laughs> right, all right, man, love you, love you too. Some of my best friends are is a production of Pushkin Industries. The show is written and hosted by me, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and my best friend, Ben Austin. It's produced by Cher Vincent and edited by Karen Shakurji. Our engineer is Martin Gonzalez. Our associate editor is Keishel Williams. Our associate producer is Lucy Sullivan. And our showrunner is Sasha Mathias. Our executive producers are Leetal Molad and Mia LaBelle. Special thanks to Tanika Lewis-Johnson and Amanda Williams. Man, they are both fantastic artists from the south side of Chicago. We are so happy to have learned from them and to be in conversation with them. And also special thanks to the National Public Housing Museum, where Tanika is an artist as instigator. We're ready for our next class. At Pushkin, thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, and Jacob Weisberg. Our theme song, Little Lily, is by fellow Chicagoan Avery R. Young from his amazing album, Tubman. You will definitely want to check out more of his music at his website, averyryoung.com. You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. If you love Some of My Best Friends Are and any of the other shows from Pushkin Industries, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And so next time I'm home, uh, Harold's chicken on me. Which 
which one? You have to say the number. <laughs> <laughs> the one, well, number you know what? That's 82. funny because I don't actually, I don't, remember. <laughs> I don't remember the one on 53rd. What's, what's the number on 53rd in Kimbark, Ben? It doesn't have a number, actually, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Is it still there? Yeah. It is still there. I don't think it has a number. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.